Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 56 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a deep dive into the Russia sanctions program and an update on current actions. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone about the ethics and compliance services we offer at my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group. Our firm is a recognized leader in the ethics and compliance field based on our unique approach to solving compliance issues, designing effective ethics and compliance programs, and implementing proactive strategies to mitigate risks while maximizing business growth and opportunities. The Volkoff Law Group provides practical solutions for companies to design, implement, and manage ethics and compliance programs. In the trade compliance area, we support a number of global companies to ensure compliance with sanctions under the U.S. Department of Treasury Office of Foreign Asset Control laws, rules, and regulations. In particular, we assist companies with providing advice and counsel on issues that may arise under the sanctions programs, including Iran, Cuba, Russia, Venezuela, and other countries. Um, We review specific transactions and conduct appropriate due diligence to ensure compliance with sanctions programs. We provide advice and counsel memoranda on uh, relevant issues to provide additional legal protection to clients uh, relating to sanctions compliance. We also help with export control compliance in terms of the licensing or need for licensing for dual-use items with the U.S. Department of Commerce, Bureau of Industry and Security Export Administration regulations. In particular, we assist companies to secure appropriate export licenses if needed. We interact with appropriate Department of Commerce officials. We represent companies before the uh, Department of Commerce uh, with respect to inspections or audits focused on EAR issues. And we prepare and file voluntary disclosures if required to resolve potential violations and remediate existing compliance program policies and procedures. We do that as well in the uh, OFAC context. Well, let's go to today's topic, and I wanted to discuss the uh, Ukraine-Russia sanctions program and specifically the recent changes in it. Um, It's a long and tortured uh, story, and I'm going to leave out some of uh, the early years or early requirements uh, going back to uh, the Obama administration uh, details, but I do want to go at least set the stage. So the story here starts uh, in response to the crisis in the uh, annexation of Ukraine and Crimea, Crimea, uh, or at least the invasion of uh, Ukraine and the annexation of Crimea in 2014, when President Obama issued a series of executive orders relating to foreign trade with Crimea and Russia. Um, I'm not going to go through each of the executive orders, but they uh, authorized all of the sanctions that are currently in place right now, and we'll go through those uh, in terms of the specific types of prohibitions. Um, The most important, I think, to come out of the uh, four executive orders um, that were issued on March 6th, March 16th, March 20th, and December 19th, 2014, Uh, is the sectoral sanctions uh, identification, or uh, the SSIs. The SSI list contains restrictions on designated entities and persons 
But remember that the sectoral sanctions don't prohibit all business. They prohibit only specific types of transactions for the designated entities and persons. And remember, that's different. SSI, designated individuals or entities, are different than SDNs, which are specially designated national, which blocks and prohibits all transactions. Um, the SSI list, though, of persons appears in the OFAC's SDN list, but it has a different program tag for the relevant uh, blocking authorities. Keep in mind here that the U.S. person definition is very broad, and it includes uh, citizens, permanent resident aliens, that's green card holders, entities under organized under the laws of the U.S. or any jurisdiction within the U.S., including foreign branches, or any person in the U.S. That's an important thing. So even though you may have a foreign person who's working in the U.S., that foreign person is subject to um, the, uh, the prohibitions. Dual citizens, remember, U.S. and another country are covered uh, by this. Hundreds of individuals and entities named uh, have been named in a combination of executive orders, the SDN list, the SSI list. And keep in mind here the 50% rule, which if you follow my webinars and uh, in my podcasts, you'll know that the 50% rule extends the reach of the Russia sanctions program. And that becomes very important when we get to talk to the oligarch program. Now, uh, the EU has adopted broad sanctions as well, and before I get to that, I want to remind everybody there is a broad prohibition, however, in dealing with Crimea, which has come out of the executive orders. The, U the EU has adopted similar um, prohibitions, uh, for example, an import ban on goods from Crimea and Sevastopol, restrictions on trade and investment. Uh, with Crimea and Sevastopol, and a prohibition in terms of tourism services. But the EU has various uh, sectorial sanctions that uh, correspond with the U.S., um, and they have 155 people and 38 entities that are subject to an asset freeze and a travel ban um, related to the, the Russia, uh, Russian activities. Um, remember, again, the EU has not implemented the oligarch sanctions that we're going to talk about or Russian government official sanctions. So now let's go back to the sectoral sanctions and talk again about the four directives. Now, the four directives in terms of, and these are related to the sectoral sanctions, and these are very critical, uh, and it requires a lot of detailed compliance. And it gets even more complicated because of certain time deadlines and amended versions that were implemented. That have, So you have different discrete time periods where different uh, rules are effective. So on July 16th and then September 12th, 2014, OFAC issued four and amended two of them directives imposing targeted sanctions on key elements of the Russian economy. Each directive governs activities between U.S. persons and those persons on the SSI list. And it's a, the SSI list is organized according to four separate directives, and we're going to go through those in a minute. But what happened in 2017 was uh, Congress passed and uh, the president signed the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act, or CATSA, I call it, 
August 2nd, 2017, which codified the executive orders that were issued by uh, President Obama, and then amended the directives 1, 2, and 4 to make them more strict. And the reason that Congress passed these statutes was because there was fear that the Trump administration would uh, relax them or get rid of them and the controversy relating to the Russia investigation. So the amendment to Directive 1, for example, codified it but de decreased the term of permissible new debt from 30 to 14 days maturity. And the amendment to Directive 2 decreased the term of permissible new debt from 90 to six day, 60 days. Now, and each of the directive numbers, uh, I'm not going to quiz you on them. I'm going to go through each of them uh, right now. Directive 1 applied to financial services, and it prohibits transacting in new debt with different maturity dates. Okay, and here comes the hard part about keeping everything straight. From July 16th to September 12th, 2014, uh, new debt or uh, new equity uh, was uh, for persons identified on the SSI list uh, had to be a maturity of no longer than 90 days. Then for the second period was from September 12, 2014 to November 28, 2017. Uh, new debt uh, or equity had to be a maturity of no longer than 30 days. And then the effective date of CATSA November 28, 2017, and forward, the maturity date has to be within 14 days. Now, designated entities included under Directive 1, Spurbank, uh, Bank of Moscow, Gazprom Bank, Russian Agricultural Bank, VEB, and VTB Bank, uh, which were the banks at the center of the controversy with Jared Kushner. Um, so that's Directive 1. Directive 2 relates to energy services. And Directive 2 states basically that U.S. persons and others within the United States are prohibited in seeking new debt of longer than 90 days maturity. And this is in the energy sector. That's why it's still new debt, but it relates to the energy sector of longer than 90 days maturity. For new debt at, issued on or after November 28, 2017, that's the CATSA date, new debt of longer than 60 days maturity is prohibited. The designated entities, just some examples for uh, Directive 2, Novatech, Rosneft, you know, one of the biggest, probably what the second or third biggest oil company in the world, oil and gas company, Gazprom. Uh, NEFT and AK uh, TransNEFT, uh, all designated entities uh, under this. Directive 3 relates to defense and related material services, and it basically targets the Russian defense industry and uh, related material sector by prohibiting new debt of longer than 30 days. The designated entities include aviation equipment holding, high-precision weapons, Novacom, Bank, and others, and Rostec. A couple of practice pointers. Uh, frequently asked question 371. That's frequently asked question 371. It's very good for defining the term debt because it includes bonds, loans, extensions of credit, loan guarantees, letters of credit, drafts, bankers' acceptances, discount notes or bills, or commercial paper. The term equity under 
FAQ 371, defined as stocks, share issuances, depository receipts, or any other evidence of title or ownership. The prohibitions in Directive 1 apply to all transactions involving new debt of specified terms or new equity. Now, one other practice pointer, uh, the new debt issue uh, definitely applies in the, in when you're dealing with purchase orders or letters of credit, uh, and you have to be very careful in that area, uh, and I'm happy to help if you need help with uh, looking at your purchase orders if you're dealing with uh, any of these types of uh, companies to make sure that uh, you're not uh, violating that uh, prohibition on debt. Directive 4 relates directly to the uh, energy sector and prohibits goods, services, except for financial services, or technology in support of exploration or production for deep water, Arctic offshore, or shale projects. And the specific types of projects are that have, or Arctic offshore or deep water uh, drilling, that have the potential to produce oil in the Russia Federation or in maritime areas claimed by the Russian Federation and extending from its territory, or that are initiated on or after January 29th, 2018, but have the potential to produce oil in any location in which a person subject to this directive has a 33% or greater ownership interest which can be cumulative from multiple entities, or be ownership of a majority of the voting interests. Examples include here uh, drilling services, geophysical services, geological services, logistical services, management services, surveying capabilities, modeling capabilities, and mapping technologies. technologies. The prohibitions, however, do not apply to financial services, clearing transactions, or providing insurance related to such activities. Now, the designated entities under this include Luke Oil, Gazprom Neft, Gazprom, Rosneft, uh, and these are some of the big, uh, larger companies. Now, this was amended uh, by CATSA. Uh, and provided worldwide application. It was extended even more beyond just the areas in Russia and the maritime areas. So now, Directive 4 further prohibits exploration of goods or services, except for financial services or technology, in support of exploration or production for deep water, Arctic offshore, or shale projects. And that's uh, that meet all three of the following criteria. So you've got to meet all three. It applies to deep water, Arctic offshore, or shale projects, and, uh, and it applies worldwide. And that's the important thing. It's not limited to Russia. So Russia has investments in Venezuela. Russia has investments and operations in the Gulf of Mexico or in Mexico, actually. They're uh, very aggressively moving into the Mexico market. So here are the three criteria that you have to meet for these types of products or projects. The project was initiated, and the term project is important here, initiated on or after January 29, 2018. The project has the potential to produce oil in any location and... Any person that's subject to the directive or any earlier version thereof either has a 33% or greater ownership interest in the project 
or owns a majority of the voting interests in the project. So if, if there's a joint venture or an operation in which 34% is owned by one of the designated entities, um, then you're going to be subject to this prohibition. So remember, previously Directive 4 was limited to projects in the Russian Federation or in the maritime area claimed by the Russian Federation and extending from its territory. Now the amendment put in by Katza and codified extends to deep water, Arctic offshore, or shale projects in any location, provided it involves those parties subject to Directive 4. Okay, the next thing that occurred, and perhaps uh, I would think one of the more significant uh, sanctions actions to occur, um, was OFAC's um, implementation and announcement of the oligarch sanctions. On April 6, 2018, OFAC added seven Russian oligarchs and 12 companies they own or control. 17 senior Russian government officials and a state-owned Russian weapons trading company and its subsidiary and a Russian bank that were all uh, put on the SDN list. Now, once you apply the 50% rule, remember, even though an entity, any entity that is uh, owned 50% or more by one of these designated, let's say, oligarchs, um, is falls within this uh, prohibition. And the sanctions have had a significant impact and require very careful compliance. If you're in the aluminum industry, we're going to talk about Rusol. Uh, if you're in the automotive industry, uh, you're going to talk about uh, one of the uh, automotive companies uh, that's, uh, that's huge. Uh, that's the gas group which is the leading manufacturer of commercial uh, commercial vehicles. So the seven oligarchs who have been listed, and uh, pardon me for my Russian, even though I am uh, ultimate, I mean, my family goes back to Russia, but uh, Vladimir Bogdanov, who is the director general and vice chairman of the board of directors of Sergei Tsneyev Gas, an oil company, Oleg Deripaska, who has been in the news uh, lately in connection with the, the Russia uh, investigation, Suleiman uh, Karimov, uh, Igor Rottenberg, who is related to Arkady Rottenberg, uh, and they own uh, much of Gazprom, uh, Kirill Shamalov, Andrei Skolk, Victor Vex- Vexelberg, who has also been named and interviewed supposedly as part of the Russia investigation. Interestingly, 12 designated oligarch companies a number, most of them were Oleg Deripaska companies, including B Finance, Basic Element Limited, EN Plus Group, Eurosib Energo, United Company Rusel, uh, and it's one of the world's largest aluminum producers, Russian Machines, Gas Group, the leading manufacturer of commercial vehicles, Agra Holding Kuban. Igor Rottenberg's companies, uh, two of them were listed, Gazprom Bierney and NP, NPV Engineering. Victor Vexelberg, uh, Renova is uh, an investment fund and management companies all con- connected by them. So these, uh, the Rusol uh, issue uh, has, and Gaz Group has had significant consequences and reverberations through the global economy. And in response, uh, Deripaska has, has been trying to and is seeking 
sort of reconsideration from OFAC by reducing his ownership interest and trying to say that he's not in control of some of these companies. But uh, so far, uh, nothing has come out of OFAC to change that. Uh, but I know Deripaska and his lawyers have been trying to uh, influence this. So uh, there included in these were certain wind-down periods which were coming up to, including with the, the oligarch sanctions. Uh, Rusal, for example, uh, has so many contracts with extensive business in the global economy. Gas Group is the same. Um, basically, there was a general license 14, which was uh, issued by OFAC, uh, to extend wind-down periods uh, to October 23rd, 2018. Um, uh, and then there have been uh, further uh, general licenses related to some of the other companies um, uh, with EN Plus Group or JSC Eurosib Energo uh, extending the wind-down period to October 23rd again. And then we have GL13C, which allows banks and other uh, persons to conduct transactions which are ordinarily incident to uh, these wind-down activities. Um, and that has been extended again to October 23rd, 2018. Okay, so the oligarch sanctions have, become, have developed into somewhat of a political issues. There have been some Republicans in Congress who have been suggesting that the oligarch sanctions are too strict and that uh, the Russia sanctions in general are too strict. Uh, I don't know and I don't expect they're given the political atmosphere for anything to happen very soon with regard uh, to that given the ongoing Russia investigation. The last issue I wanted to discuss and has uh, just recently occurred and uh, we're still waiting for all of the details to be uh, released. But on August 9th, 2018, the U.S. Department of State issued a press release uh, announcing that the government will be imposing new sanctions on Russia for the use of the Novichok nerve agent uh, in an attempt to assassinate a U.K. citizen, uh, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter, Yulia Skripal. Uh, we all saw this in the news, which occurred in London, and uh, this was uh, based on this action was based on an August 6, 2018 determination by the State Department under the Chemical and Biological Weapons Control and Warfare Elimination Act, let's call it CBW for short, and that once a determination is made that the Russian government has used chemical or biological weapons or any other government in violation of international law or has used lethal chemical or biological weapons against its own nationals, the CBW Act requires the president to impose sanctions on a foreign country uh, once there's such a determination. So following, the, following this uh, determination, the new uh, regulations or the notices were supposed to come out on August 22nd. They actually came out on August 24th. And let me take a moment just to go through those. Um, the State Department, the process works like this. The State Department announces these provide some indication as to this, the breadth of them, where they're going to uh, relate to, and then individual agencies around the government are required to implement them. So OFAC will be implementing them, and so will the Department of Commerce to the extent they uh, cover this, and the State Department, because of ITAR, its International Trafficking in Arms Authority, um, is also going to be implementing some uh, as well. 
So um, the, uh, the, the uh, new sanctions, which will become effective uh, on August 27th, 2018, are, are effective, and they're going to be in place uh, for one year. Um, and certain waivers of the act were applied. Uh, there's, there are certain waivers that are allowed. But let me go through uh, some of the prohibitions that are going to be in place. First, there's a termination of all arms sales to the Russians, to Russia, of any defense article, defense service, or design and construction, construction service, which is subject to ITAR, uh, and any license for that, uh, any license uh, to Russia of any item on ITAR's uh, munitions list. Um, the only one, there is one exception to that, and that is uh, they will... Uh, issue licenses in support of the government space cooperation and commercial space launches. So licenses uh, in, for that exception will be done on a case-by-case basis. All foreign military uh, military financing for Russia is terminated. Any uh, uh, any credit credit guarantees or other financial assistance by any department, agency, or instrumentality of the U.S. government is denied including by the Export-Import Bank of the U.S., a prohibition uh, all exports and re-exports to Russia of goods and technology subject to national security or the NS controls on the Commerce Control List, the CCL, which is contained in, uh, in the Export Administration regulations are prohibited with certain exceptions. And that the national security controls apply to dual-use items that can be used for uh, military purposes, but may not necessarily be used. And people try to uh, guarantee that it's not going to be used for a a military use and that a dual-use item is going to be used for commercial purposes, but that's not going to be allowed except with certain exceptions. Um, There are limited uh, exceptions that will allow... uh, which apply to certain encryption-related items. And there's a full list of the license exceptions in the notice that was issued by the state, uh, which was uh, issued by the uh, State Department. Um, Also, certain exports or re-exports under new licenses may be allowed. uh, And the reference to new licenses means that a waiver applies only to licenses issued after enactment of the sanctions meaning August 24th, the announcement date, with the effective date being the 27th. Um, so, and now, uh, and, and so now, uh, the goods and technologies that are going to be subject to a lot of these national security prohibitions are going to include uh, exports and re-exports necessary for flight safe, safety of civil fixed-wing passenger in aviation, so that's going to be an exception. Uh, deemed exports and re-exports to certain Russian nationals, exports and re-exports to wholly owned Russian subsidiaries of U.S. companies will be allowed, exports and re-exports in support of government space cooperation and commercial space launches, which we missed it, uh, mentioned, and exports and re-exports for commercial end uses and civil end uses in Russia. So now, There may be certain civil end uses that you would be allowed to get authority for, but it requires um, uh, seeking a license. So 
Um, the other interesting part of the State Department's notice is that there may there is some mention that there may be additional significant sanctions which may be uh, possibly imposed, uh, and I don't want to get into the details of those, but they're pretty broad prohibitions on exports, imports, air transportations, and bank loans, uh, as well as multilateral bank uh, development uh, activities. But those uh, sanctions are still being considered, and it's not clear whether or not the State Department uh, is going to issue those. One of the reasons, one of the factors that they take into account is whether or not Russia, um, they are able to determine that Russia is no longer using chemical or biological weapons in violation of uh, international law. So we have to stay tuned uh, for that activity. Well, I know that's a lot of information. If you do need any help, again, on compliance issues related to this, uh, please make sure you reach out to us at mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Uh, we handle a lot of sanctions uh, and, uh, and commerce uh, issues as well as ITAR issues, uh, and we'd be happy to help you and support your efforts and stay up to date with regard to the directives. Thanks again for listening, and, uh, and we'll be back next week. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bocoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. Remember, you can always contact me at my email address, mbocoflaw.com. Let us know how you can help you achieve your